Thanks for coming back for part two of this episode with Dr. Bruce Hartung. Um, we are continuing that conversation that you started last week about mental health. Again, I want you to know that uh, if you're experiencing any kind of mental health crises, um, there is help out there for you. Uh, if you have the need for mental health services, uh, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is that resource. You can call that resource at one 800 273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. So we're picking up that conversation right where we left off. Um, the first thing you'll hear is me asking a question about how everything is spiritual in Dr. Hartung's perspective. And that is a holistic worldview uh, that we as Christians should hold onto because uh, scripture tells us that we are in the midst of a battle between uh, powers and principalities of this world and of things unseen. So jump into that conversation. Um, I'm excited for you to hear part two. I really love hearing from Dr. Hartung and uh, JD and I had a great time with this conversation. Welcome to the History of Chaos, a podcast where we welcome the craziness, the caution, and the concern that has captured our culture during the COVID-19 crisis of 2020. We're just two pastors that recognize we are experiencing an unprecedented moment in time, but we believe that history must be able to teach us something. Join us as we discuss, examine, and explore how cultures of old responded and survived in trying times, as we learn a little bit more about the history of chaos. I'm I'm really glad that you brought in the the Psalms of Lament because I've been trying to find a place to ask this question because it's actually something I've brought up in in past episodes uh, with with other uh, guests that we've had um, in our spiritual warfare class at seminary. Um, you're one of the first things you said to us to change our perspective is that everything is spiritual. And I've been thinking about that a lot because at our pastor's conference uh, for the Kansas district, Dr. Mars came and he presented on his new book, um, Keeping Christian Counseling Christ-Centered, I think is the exact title of that. Um, but at one point in his presentation, he said when you're, when you're looking at whether this is mental health or if this is a spiritual thing, um, or spiritual or demonic oppression or those types of things. Um, the phrase he used was when you hear, when you hear hooves think horses, not zebras, or if you're in Africa, think zebras, not horses. Um, but I'm wondering for, so JD and I are pastors, where, where, do, where is that line there for um, spiritual versus mental health? Um, I, I've been asking myself that question a lot. Um, is is depression spiritual uh, affliction? Is, I mean, Luther talks about it 
um, in, in a lot of places. What, what's that German word? Angfechtung? Is that what it is? Did I say it right? Did I get an A? Sounds terrific. Okay, okay. Um, so uh, that, that's been my curiosity over the last month since that pastor's conference is um, how, do, how do we do that as pastors? Uh, because I, I spend a lot of time with one on one with people. I would say it's pastoral counseling in, in a lot of ways, but um, how, how do we draw that line? Or um, when, when do we know if this is more spiritual than chemical? Um, that kind of thing. Uh, well, uh, since there is not a line. Everything is spiritual, right? <clears throat> But not, not in terms of causality, which is maybe what you're really getting at. I think so. Uh, there is an interplay between mental health and spirituality in a holistic worldview. There is always an interplay. So one piece of things affects everything. Now, in my understanding of spiritual warfare, as you might remember, uh, the uh, Satan is not equal with God. Uh, so Satan is not in a position to create something except with God's permission. So Satan is the exploiter of human situations that already exist. So then what we've got is everything that happens has spiritual consequences to it. And things spiritual have mental health consequences to it. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to remain uh, understanding from a holistic point of view. In terms of causality, however, like then you begin to go down different, you can begin to go down to different trails, uh, for instance. So is, is schizophrenia a spiritual issue? Surely it is, but is it caused by a spiritual deficit or something like that, other than the fact that we are human beings and live in a fallen world. Sure. Well, we know enough about schizophrenia to know that there are, that there's essentially a physiological, biological cause uh, and should be treated that way uh, rather than just as a spiritual cause in which you're praying for demons to be released. Mm -hmm. So you do get in a difference when you're thinking about what's the basis of what's going on. But my, my concern with talking about either or stuff uh, is that one begins to lose the, um, the broader perspective of the interaction between the, uh, the two kinds of, uh, the two arenas in this case, spirituality and, and uh, mental health. So this is more like a Venn diagram than a uh, two circles sitting side by side. Absolutely. Okay. 
Did you have another follow-up there, Dan? Or no, I, go, I, go ahead. I, well, and I think it kind of all pieces together because what I hear you saying uh, as we think about things being spiritual, um, that actually there are some ways that God provides us a way to deal with some of those uh, spiritual issues, uh, the insecurities or things that we might be experiencing, maybe from if, if we're getting into, oh, this is a mental health thing, right? Um, and one of the ways, which you were talking about a little bit earlier that I think, I think where we're missing the most right now is this community, this, uh, interaction, the intimacy you talk about. Um, did you, did you have a, a chance to watch the social dilemma? Do you even know what I'm talking about when I say that? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. So the social dilemma, it's a, it's a documentary on Netflix. Uh, and it's, it's basically, um, people who have been played crucial roles in creating social media um, who are coming out and saying, here is the huge mess we have created. And here are the results, uh, the problems it has created for mental health. Um, And one of the things that they, they said that I thought was interesting when they were developing this whole idea of social media and capitalizing on the internet and the interweb, the goal or the idea was we want to be the most connected people ever. We want people to be more connected than ever because we have the technology to make it happen. And what they found, and there's research and stuff in this documentary, I kind of, I recommend it. It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on it. Maybe we'll have you back. But the idea that the most connected generation is actually the most disconnected and I, and what I mean by that is I think right now we can make an argument that we have, wow, what a cool thing. We're on zoom. We get to actually see each other face to face. You hear my voice, uh, you, you know, and yet there's something missing here and there, there's something, uh, that can't, there's a, there's a need that can't actually be fully met, uh, in this situation how do we how do we handle that reality? And maybe you talk more to the need for personal interaction or touch and these sorts of things. But how how can we even begin to address that need in a time where, as you've mentioned, we are encouraged to be socially distant? We're encouraged to be away from each other. In fact, in my town, uh, there's still lockdowns and face mask police and all these sorts of things. Right? Yeah. Well, I don't like the word social distance thing. What I like is physical distancing, but social intimacy. Now, how if we assume that social intimacy remains important and loneliness, I mean, we've got all kinds of emerging research now about loneliness, especially in senior citizen communities um, with people dying and uh, not being able to go and there's assisted living and things like that. So in the midst of all this, <clears throat> we visit, we are physically more distant, but need to compensate for that by more social intimacy. Is social intimacy by you and me talking or you and us talking uh, over a um, Zoom call as fully satisfying as if we were in the same room? Well, maybe, but likely, probably not. 
We couldn't share a cup of tea, you know. We could not. <laughs> or at this time of day, a glass of wine. Or a yeah. <laughs> you're, you're on the East Coast, so right. keep that in mind. Yeah. But, you know, it, it is a, a recognition of the reality of what we are in and an understanding that we need to compensate in some other ways for the reality. So yeah, social connection is better person to person, I believe. But if this, we also have some research that folks are talking to people more than they generally have about significant stuff and also dialing up people that they haven't talked to or been in contact with more often that there's actually more activity going on, uh, calling people that you haven't talked with for a couple of years, uh, reconnected, reconnecting. And what is this about? I think it's about we, when we lose the capacity for human touch and face, face contact as much as we have lost it, we recognize the loss and seek to compensate for it by more contact using the ways that we have. I have learned how to sit outside and talk more than I ever have in my life because we have better capacity to, to talk when we're outside but because it's less risky. Uh, I, I use Zoom. Facebook Messenger, Skype, uh, much more often uh, than I used it. Uh, our sons, well, one of whom lives here, our other son, uh, we talk with them more often than we have, generally speaking, because we can't go out with the, where they live yet, because we have to fly to get there. So I think that if we are, if we are attentive to our need, we can be asking each other more. So people that we live with in our families and in the communities that we may be together with, to be able to inquire with people about how they're doing, to not just stay on the local NFL scores, or for heaven's sakes, stay about the political disputes that are going on, uh, or the election, and all that kind of business. But actually, finally, how are you doing in the pandemic? to just sort of inquire more stuff because social intimacy is more required. So let's do it. Let's inquire with each other about how, how things are going. The three of us, thanks to y'all's initiative, before we began this recording, you know, talked a little bit about how we were doing. Yeah, well, that's a really cool thing. Uh, and I think that's one thing that is really, really significantly important. So I, I when I walk out, you know, around here, we walk with masks even. In our, in our community, it's a, a nice community walk. Uh, I, I say hello to everybody that passes by. And I try to wave uh, because they can't see that I'm smiling. Because my... Yeah mask is on 
I'm trying to compensate for non the verbal cues in some way or another. Uh, it's, it's just if we're thinking about compensation for what we've lost, if what we've lost is important to us, then let's go for it. And it, to me, one of the co compensations, I guess this is the third time I said this, is the social intimacy question, not social distancing. Physical distancing, social intimacy. Let's be more inquiring about how people are going and not be afraid of the question or the answer. And when people say fine, you say, well, tell me more about that fineness. What makes it fine? Not to be satisfied with, yeah, things are okay or whatever, you know? Let's get a little deeper than that. Now people can say, no, I don't want, don't want to do that. And then they, you know, that's fine too, but. So, so uh, when, when somebody might say, we, there's, we can't keep doing this lockdown stuff, we're all gonna die if we do that. Uh, you're not saying let's keep let's keep the lockdown on. That's going to be great for us. But what you are saying is it doesn't have to be doom and gloom. It's going to take some work if it's of interest to you to compensate to figure out other ways in order to maintain some sort of social intimacy. If that's something that you value and is necessary for your life, and it can't, it, it we shouldn't be looking at this as doom and gloom. There's hope for us still yet. Right, there is there is a gloominess about it, uh, but there's also human creativity and the capacity to be able to identify and then move on what we identify in terms of our own needs and the needs of others. So yeah, what you said, I agree with. Uh, there there isn't a just. It isn't all woe is me. Every situation has some capacity for people to learn in it. So what are we learning about ourselves in it? What am I learning about other people? What am I, what have I lost that I don't miss? And what have I lost that I really miss? And if I really miss it, then how can I, in a healthy way, in a pandemic, compensate for it or pick up what I need? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a call to action uh, in terms of not just letting us be slaves to the pandemic. Pandemic is active, has no brain, it just works the way it works. We are sensitive to that. Uh, mask wearing, hand washing, and physical distancing are important components to that. But social intimacy is crucial. So let's do it. My grandson, I was talking with him, he's 12. I said, what, what is it that you... Um, uh, what do you miss about school? Well, first I said, do you miss school? Because they're, they're on virtual, totally. He said, yeah, I do. I said, well, what do you miss most about it? It's sort of my version of tell me more. He says, you know what? I miss most my friends. Yeah. Well, that was both moving and accurate. 
you know, it's the basic human connection that schools bring people together and you have friendship groups and do that kind of stuff. He was delighted when they're back. They're now back two days a week, half a day. Uh, and he's got now a, a, um, a group. So he's with the group all day, but he's got friends. And then I haven't talked to him about this, but I hear from his parents that he and some friends decided that they needed, they needed a, a boy's weekend away. So with, with other parents and a couple of friends, they went off to some cottage somewhere uh, just had a weekend by a lake or something like that. Uh, just he and a couple of his friends and the parents uh, of, of, uh, of them. Well, you know, they're finding ways to, uh, to huddle, to create these. Um, there's a name for this. When you have people that you associate with and they agree not to associate with lots of other people. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as much as they can. For in terms of safety, there's a lot of stuff like that. Well, this conversation has been really helpful, and I I wish we had all the time in the world to keep going because I've got a million questions for you that I never got to ask you in class, and we're gonna have to do this again sometime. But probably it sounds like it would be good that you didn't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we might have to do the social dilemma as our next topic of conversation with you. But uh, before we let you go, um, as JD mentioned uh, toward the beginning of our conversation, we've got people from all over the place, um, different walks of life, different backgrounds. You've given us a lot of encouragement in this, uh, this conversation. But um, if you had to narrow it down to one piece of advice or encouragement, um, what would it be? for someone living in this time of chaos? Talk, share. This is not a test of American individualism. Mm. This is a test for the community. And the only way to, to, to be in community is to be able to talk out of positions of vulnerability. So whatever is going on in your life now in response to the COVID-19 or anything else that's going on, find ways to bring it from inside of yourself, outside, into a safe space with others who care about you to begin a process of collegial or community walk together. He is Professor Emeritus of Concordia Seminary St. Louis. He is also the author of Holding Up the Prophet's Hand, Supporting Church Workers, and Building Up the Body of Christ, Supporting Community Life in the Church. You can find those at cph.org. He is Dr. Bruce Hartung. Thank you so much for joining us today for the encouragement, for the conversations. Uh, hopefully we can talk some more uh, just as friends, but maybe even back on the show again. Thanks so much, Bruce, for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you all. Thank you again for taking some time to learn more about the history of chaos. We hope that this might give you a chance to pause, 
relax, take a deep breath. Remember that chaos is not a new thing. It is something that God has calmed before. He has not left you. He is in control. And in the face of chaos, may these promises give you peace.